give that shit up, you can concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Hi everybody and welcome to a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Mossy and Paul. This is episode 10 of season 2. If it is your first time listening, I would advise to go back to the start and listen from episode 1 as we will refer to previous shows from time to time. The show does contain film spoilers, so if you have not yet seen the film, I would advise watching it first. It might help you understand a little bit better. And now for today's show, I hope you enjoy. So this week we are joined by Ryan Gaffney, um, our senior hurler. Former Ulster GA hurling development officer and current participation and growth officer for Camogie in Ulster and a recent uh, recipient of a master's in IT Carlo in what course did you do, Ryan? Sports performance analysis. Sports performance analysis, which we think will fit in perfectly with the film we're going through this week, which is Moneyball. So thanks very much for coming on, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, boys. Thanks for the invite. You're welcome. And thanks and thanks to Massey and Paul for being back again. How are you, Colin? Hi, well, lads, how are things? Very good. Uh, so this week, as I said, we're going to talk about Moneyball. And I suppose, like, you know, first of all, what do you, what do you think of the film, right? Uh, as, as a movie? As a movie, I thought it was a brilliant show. Uh, I hadn't seen it in years since it first came out. And then I actually watched it the other day. And I, just, I sort of forgot how good a show it actually was. Mm-hmm. You know, what a story. I suppose that's what, you know, everybody's sort of looking for the, the underdogs to win in sport. And I, I thought that... You know, it was a brilliant, brilliant story, and it was very, very fitting with the way maybe sports going nowadays. You know. Yeah, yeah. and Paul Massey. Ah, oh, yeah, it was brilliant. It's great to like you always know it's a top movie, but and you watch it again, and it's just still like, like you don't switch off from it, even though you know what's going to happen. It's just top movie, top sports movie. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Look, I suppose it was a bit of poetic license to to fit the narrative of the story at times. But uh, look, it was great, and a lot of the interactions between, we'll say, Brad Pitt, Billy Bain, and other people in it were were really, really good and relatively true to life, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, like it is. It's an excellent film. I think it's. Like, I've seen it at least at least five times now. I'd say because it's just a film that you can kind of sit down and watch again and again. I think. Um, but I suppose let's get straight into it. I suppose the first thing that. Um, it pops up on the screen at the very start is it's unbelievable how much you don't know about the game you've played all your life and that was said by the, the great Mickey Mantle and I suppose if you think about it from a coaching perspective and playing perspective like it's probably true when you it, it, for, for every one of us and all coaches like I suppose it's something to be conscious of that you'll never know it all it's a, it's a great kind of starting point isn't it yeah it was a brilliant brilliant line um, from Mickey Mantle and it's a great way to open the film and it's very true like like here, like every day is a school day when you're coaching, like you're going to learn something every day. It might be about the sport itself or it might be about how to deal with an individual or somebody you haven't come across before. And it's very, very relevant to the film and to relevant to coaching, I do believe. Yeah, look, it's a great line and it does make you think like, obviously we've been, we've all been involved in, in GAA, be it or football for the majority of our lives. But do we really know what it takes to, to win, like we're in the midst of championship at the moment, do we really know what it takes to win a Horland championship game? Like, obviously it's a team who scores more, but how do you get yourself into a position to score more than the opposition, you know? And, like, I suppose people have their different ideas 
Davy Fitz has his idea of how to win. Brian Cody has his idea. John Coyley has his. And they're all vastly different, completely different styles. Who's right and who's wrong? And, and there's there's plenty to it. No, definitely. Uh, as the vice said, you know, what a way to start the film. It was a great lane. Um, I suppose as, as players and coaches, you're, you're constantly asking the question of how you can get better or how can I make people better or how can the team improve? You know, and sometimes you may be thinking that you do know it all, and uh, it's probably a bad trap to fall into. But uh, I suppose somebody can come along with it with a new game plan, as we've seen in the, throughout the years. You know, people changing their styles of play and that there, and it working for them well for a year or two, and then next thing our teams find out how to work again. It. Uh, so I suppose we're all all students of the game and always learning about it and that. And I suppose that's that's the good thing about sport. You know, you're never actually gonna. It just keeps evolving and not there and it's trying to keep up with, I suppose. Yeah, and like, look, I suppose two of the things that were, two of the quotes early in the movie one, was one from Billy Bean when he said, if we try to play like the Yankees in here, we lose to the Yankees out there. And I suppose it showed the, I suppose, the discrepancies in the in the sport that there's the rich, there's the haves and the have-nots. And like, I suppose, Ryan, even from your own perspective, like, from a hurling perspective, you'd be considered Ulster hurling outside of Antrim, and even Antrim included at the moment would be considered have-nots in comparison to to Munster as regards to, I suppose, the number of clubs playing, the number of teams playing, and the resources made available to those other counties. Like, how did you find it, like, as as a club hurler? Like, because I know you got to an in final with, with your own club. Like, how did you find, what did you have to do different to, I suppose, bridge that gap that would have been... I suppose a glass ceiling that was kind of ahead of you for a long time. Yeah, it, it was always a struggle. Uh, I was very lucky. Or I was lucky that I was part of a club that, you know, in my time playing, they always pushed for her. You know, they always pushed for her and pushed for both codes. Uh, and there is a few clubs within Armagh that are in the same boat. But, uh, and I just was lucky enough to come up with a good crop of players. And... Uh, you know, we one of the things we had to do was we struggled to get games, struggled to get games within our community. You know, we remember getting only a couple of competitive games a year. So you had to be prepared to go outside the county and, and travel and get them challenge games and that there, you know. So that was probably something that we would have would have said, listen, we had to make a conscious decision as a club. You have to make sure you're available for the on these Sunday mornings or these Saturday mornings to go and travel down there and make sure with at least maybe 30, 25, 30 men traveling down from a strong team. So that was probably like we're not as lucky as other counties that they maybe have 16 or, or 20 clubs. You know, there is only eight clubs, and as I say, out of them, there are clubs you maybe only get a couple of competitive games a year. So that was a struggle, but we were lucky enough that our our club county, our club board, or our club executive back back to her, you know, whatever we needed, whatever we needed in terms of resources, not there we got. So we did, we also had the players were committed enough to go out and uh, try and fund fundraise and stuff as well. But uh, I suppose from looking at a county perspective, you're always fighting, you're always fighting the battle in Armagh because it's, you know, it's uh, dominantly football county. So it is, but uh, you're always fighting the battle, you know, to try and promote Hornell. Like I've worked as a, as a games promotion officer in Armagh and all the kids are mad looking, you know, mad there and they play for an hour without, you know, all the schools I went to. All very keen to get playing, but then I suppose when they go home, they just 
it's not, it's not there's nobody really pushing them into the, into the hurling clubs. You know, it's more focused on the football, and I suppose they're getting a, enough satisfaction out of the football to to do them as well. So, yeah, it's a struggle, but we're lucky enough, I suppose, in our club that we do have we have good support from our from our committee and then also our players as well. Yeah, and like I suppose. It, it's it's was it just what you're talking about there like the kids they're happy to play and they'd love to play hurling and they'd love to give it a go but when the home the situation at home or the situation the club isn't supportive of it you can see how it can fall apart very quickly and uh, i suppose the the difference between the the haves and the have nots kind of expands doesn't it yeah yeah de- definitely like you know uh... I suppose in our mind we would have a few of the horny clubs would be just feeding from football would, would be getting players from maybe three or four football clubs around them and you know it works or in my experience it works well up until the age of maybe 17, 18 mm-hmm. you know and then them kids maybe have a, have a decision to make here listen, or them teenagers have to, a decision to make and listen to play both codes or they're just concentrating on one code you know and then you know life gets in the way that they're, they're studying Maybe going to college, not there, and then they end up that you know they pick the football because the simple fact maybe is they're guaranteed sixteen good games, sixteen league games uh, consistently every Sunday or every Friday evening, uh, and also you know a, a, a good run out of championship as well. So I suppose that's maybe one of the things that is lacking for the hurling up here. You know, and Armagh is one of the better run football. Leagues in the country, isn't it? It's uh, fairly established. Yeah, yeah. So they, they actually changed it there a couple of years ago, um, took in a new format. So it worked. In, in my experience, it's worked pretty well. So it has, uh, but obviously due to COVID and all this year, it sort of messed it up for them. But uh, no, I have to say it does run well, and I, I play football myself. And I, to be honest, I, I love nothing more than waking up on a Sunday and having having a game to go. To, you know, and that they were going away with the boys and playing a game. There's no better feeling. So I think that, yeah, in fairness to the, the, in terms of football, they have got that sorted, you know, definitely. It's just whether we could improve in the hurl. You know, I definitely think there's a lot of room for improvement there, you know. And like, we, we'd see it like in the in the GA where, like I said, you'd have traditional counties now, let's say in hurling and, and even in football. And you'd have like upstarts like Tyrone in football came along in the early 2000s. Um, and like I suppose the thing that they did is they didn't try to play the same way that the Currys or the Meads or the Galways were playing. They like it was something that they, they kind of, if we just and it goes back to the same thing they said about the Yankees. If we tried to play the same way in there, so if we would do the same training as them, if we tried to play the same tactics as them and the same style of football, we're going to get the same result. And I suppose it, it came from a change, is what what happens. And I suppose it's something you see a lot, a lot in sport is where I suppose. Like as I said, I'm just thinking Tyrone in football, Donegal in the early tens or the last decade, they came with a completely different style because the traditional way of doing it wasn't suiting them. Like, and that's important, isn't it? Yeah, we're just we're doing a disservice to football in Tyrone. Like, um, they were very close to all Ireland in the eighties and in the nineties, and they just had to change things up. Like, there was a massive tradition there of football with them counties that you mentioned, with Donegal's mm. and. And Tyrone's and your Armaz as well before, like they actually had the ultimate success there. So there's a bit of a difference there. Sorry, Massey. I just thought the way that everyone keeps referring to that one minute clip when Tyrone beat the crap out of Kerry <laughs> on the pitch as as football changed that day. And like, is there any other examples from other sports or other codes that you can think of? 
Well, there's loads, yeah. There's you have to adapt. Like you're not going to beat the big lads, as they say in the film. You have to come up with something different. I think a very good example is Irish amateur boxing. Um, what they had to put in place um, with their elite performance and what's the elite performance team? What's the exact word in there, Nepal? Um, I'm not sure actually. MTK Global. It is no, it's it's a good point you're making. They did. They they went about things very differently with Billy Walsh. Yeah. They went to uh, it was the Athens Olympics. I think they went to one fighter and got nowhere. And then they redesigned with Billy Walsh, and then Gary Keegan came on board, and they changed things up. And they found a niche. What they had to do, they got expert coaches in. They trained them full time. They um, got the boxers training together. Um, they got the right nutritionists in, the right tactics with everything. I wouldn't know too much about the technical aspects of boxing, but the you could see the benefits and their tangible results that came as results of the work that was put in at grassroots level and then at elite level down the line, which is still to this day is paying off handsomely for a country of the size and the resources that we have. Where, as I said, we're punching above our weight. Bit of a pun there, but true. You're hilarious, Mossy. Um, you know what? A really good example and on the performance analysis side of, we'll say, a team using performance analysis to get ahead and and, and reinvent themselves is with Liverpool, really. Um, and it's actually an Armand man called Colin Trainer who actually started a lot of it, right? So there's there's um there's a principle. I'm sure you've seen it because it's on Match of the Day now and it's on Sky Sports a lot called Expected Goals. Okay. And with, when Klopp was with Borussia Dortmund in his final year with Borussia Dortmund, come Christmas time, they were 17th in the league. Okay. And Colin Trainer, like, so they were after winning the Champions League, whatever, two years beforehand. And they're, they are a the top. League. Yeah. They're, they are a top team. They are really a top team, right? So, it comes to the situation where he goes, well, what's after happening here? So he done a bit of re- he done a bit of a, a study on the expected goals, and they were plus, they were minus sixteen goals plus. They should have scored seven more and conceded nine less than they actually did in that first half of the season, and they should have been fourth. So he released a he released a piece on this on Statsbomb. And Ian Graham, who was the, the head of analytics in Liverpool at the time, seen it and they got Klopp on board and I suppose the rest is history. Liverpool finally won something for the first time in whatever, 30 years. Well, hopefully hopefully the same results happen what happened for Shea Dortmund that year would be great. It? <laughs> you want them gone again, do you? But actually, like, and a really interesting thing on it, Colin Trainer, who... Who, who done that stats bomb and he was heavily involved with soccer at the time is now doing an awful lot of the Gaelic games content and he's he's definitely worth a follow on Twitter just to to see how he analytically looks at games looks at what happens over the course of the, the 70 minutes in a match where scores are coming from where like the score origin where where teams are, are getting their scores from is it from kickouts is it from their own kickouts, opposition kickouts, turnovers, whatever the case may be. But he, he has some interest in that data, so it's it's definitely worth having a look at. Good. 
what's the difference between stats and performance analysis analysis or yeah as in performance player analysis or performance analysis versus stats because like you'd have you'd have every club team in the country and ga level would say oh we need we need a stats man and we need a stats man to tell us how many pockets we won and how many pockets we lost and how many wides we hit and how many hooks and blocks we got like is that really important to a team playing well I'm trying to look at that line. What was it the, in the movie where he says, um, he asked them, you know, what, what is the problem when they're, they're having a discussion around the table and he asks them, you know, what, what is the problem? And Billy Bean's trying, trying to drag the answers out or the answers out of them, you know, and he has just you know, coaching had on me. That's something that we'd be asking a lot of coaches to do in trains, you know, try and, and, and make their players more aware of what's happening in the games and where things are going wrong. So you'd be asking them them questions. And I thought it was great to see him doing it to the board and, and none of them could actually give him the right answer, do you know? So I suppose you're saying they're calling about every club would have a stats band, you know, marking down many hooks you get and many wides you hit and stuff like that there. But yeah, yeah, you, you need to know why you're taking down anything, taking down them stats, you know, if it like some coaches will do out there and it's almost it's just like a tick in the box exercise. But it's as well as, you know, with, with, with different stuff, but I think the relationship between the coach and the and the analyst needs to be needs to be good. Like you know, I thought there's the main thing, and he needs to know exactly what the coach is looking. You know, and the coach or the coach needs to first start know what he, what he's looking, what answers he's looking. To, you know, so my view on it would be that there's no point in going and getting somebody to take, take down stats and, and uh, say how many wides you're hitting or how many blocks or how many turnovers. You know, if you don't actually know how to fix that. Yeah, and what Ryan's talking about there, like, there's a real disconnect between performance analysis and stats, really, in terms of, so everyone has to have someone who's there and and recording what's happening, okay? And every club team is doing it now. Like, and some people are just taking the score, like, what's the point really in taking the score when you can just ask the ref at any stage during the match what the score of the game is? Right, so... We've lost five of the last seven pokeouts, right? Because uh, because Galway have poked it out and Cooney at wing forward is after catching the last seven balls, right? Geez, an absolute disaster. We have to do something about Cooney because he's winning every pokeout, right? Doesn't factor in though that that's an isolated, that's an isolated statistic. Has he scored seven points off them seven pokeouts he's won? Or have has he come down and has Porter Walsh taken the ball off him? Or has he struck the ball wide? Like, has he got a return off them seven possessions? And if he hasn't, then the fact is it isn't actually important, right? But it could be a, a, a scenario where we're losing our own pokeouts, right? So I'm poking the ball down the field. And the opposition half-back line keep winning it and they keep sending it back. But they're sending it back under pressure from our forward unit and our half-back line are mopping it up and either linking the midfield, they sticking it over or stick, sticking it over themselves even or delivering quality ball on the front foot into the full forward line. And we're getting, even though we're losing 60% of our own pokeouts, we're eventually getting it back in a turnover scenario and score. So there are things that are important and there are very few teams who are actually able to 
on match day, taking that information and and digest it and make correct decisions on it. Like if you look at Galway and Galway have a fellow Dave Morris is involved in and Galway are very good stats wise, right? They do not care about their own puck out. They have won for the last number of years and the year they won the All-Ireland in 2017, was it? 17, yeah. Yeah, like they had a low retention rate on their own puck outs, but they were trying to get the ball as far away from their goal as possible because they were going to win the ball back at some stage before the opposition scored at the far end. And then that's their, they, they were very much a turnover-based team. Whereas you, you bring it on a year and Limerick won an All-Ireland around um, Nicky Quaid winning seven, Limerick winning 74% of Nicky Quaid's puckouts, you know? Mm. So there's different ways to win the same type of game. And it's getting an understanding of that that's, that's really, really important. And I don't think enough, enough teams are, are good at that. But is that is that a skill like I know we talk about coaching all the time and like we talk about uh, soft skills that are we helping how are we in the GA let's say and us me as a coach developer helping the average coach to to get better at that like and is that is, is that an acquired skill like do you have to actually do a course to actually understand like people are going to go off this podcast tonight and they're going to go oh Jesus I know what the lads are saying but I don't, I don't know how to change it so like how do you change it for the average person. You know what, there's actually a really good, um, the GA have a performance analysis accreditation, accreditation process where you do, and it's actually it's actually way better than an award one course or whatever, because you do a workshop or you do one or two workshops, but then you go off and you practice what you do, what, um, what you're after learning that, use it for a year with a team, and then send in a report to try and get accreditation at level one, two, three, or four. Okay. Okay. So what they're doing is they're they're actively reflecting on the work that they're doing as they're doing it and makes them makes them good, makes them better, you know. Ryan, Ryan will attest to it now. Like we say, third level education isn't for everyone, but there is a really good master's course in in, in Carlo. To, to give you a, a foundation in, in, in a lot of that and be able to build on a career from from that in, in performance analysis as well, you know? So you just go back to yours there, Paul, for a second there. You're talking about Gaul 2017, Limerick 2018. Though you have to take into account there, or you say you have to take into account the type of players you have on the team for Gaul not to worry about the, their winning their own puckouts that they're confident that their backs will mop up the ball in the half-back line and win that ball further up the pitch, where Limerick are confident that they'll win that ball in the half-forward line from the puck house and can play off that. Do you have to take that sort of stuff into account? Is that what you're saying? Or? Oh, 100%. And too often, too often there's a disconnect between the manager, the coach, and the performance analyst. The performance analyst is often just a person who comes in on match day and is told count X, Y, and Z, right? And he's counting X, Y, and Z, right? And feeding that back to the management at times. This is an in poor setup now, is, is feeding the information back into the management. But he has no clue of what the game plan is or what the coaching was like during the week or any stuff like that. 
Whereas if the performance analyst, okay, this would be my preference now, has an interest in the sport, is involved in the team, is, is aware of the of the coaching, uh, the coaching strategy within the team, then that person can be a really, really big asset to a club or county team. But unfortunately, that isn't the case, that it is just a fella brought in a lot of the time because it's now one of these, oh, you must have this sports science element to your your, your club or, or county setup or whatever it is, you know? There's actually a great, a great video on YouTube. I'm not 100% sure who, who made it, but uh, it's called, it's, this person carries out analysis of the 2017, 2018, 2019 championships for Ireland. And they're basically focusing uh, very much on Limerick and the evolution of Limerick onto that 20, it was 2019 day when you learned, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 2018. Uh, so just the evolution of, of their ball distribution from defence in the attack. And you can see a lot in 20 in 2017, must maybe was the first year, there was a lot of ball, cornerback was getting the ball and he's just literally hitting it over the shoulder and it was just putting the onus on the forwards to, to fight for that ball and win it. You know, and maybe some days you'll get away with it, some days you won't. But if we think of Limerick now, with the, the game that they're playing, you know, they, they, they obviously have a very fit team. They have boys that are able to play that running game and, and work the ball through the hands. But it's nearly as if they're getting the ball to the halfway line and then playing it in, or else they'll get it to the halfway line and they'll pick off their scores, you know, if, the ball, if, they, if they can't get the ball in. So I think, yeah, definitely, as Mossy says, you have to have players that are, that are able to carry out your game plan or else you... You know, you adopt your game plan to suit your players. You know, whatever works best. Yeah, the the, the fellow who done that video, Sean Flynn, he was actually he was with the Tip Senior Warriors in twenty nineteen. Was I? And yeah, and uh, and that stuff about the delivery zones and ball retention mm-hmm. and where scores are coming from, like that is a really good, a really good piece as well. Yeah, it's a great piece of work, like you know. We're all familiar, I suppose. Dublin, we've all seen Dublin play a lot in the last couple of years. In football, um, like what is like what are they looking at as their player? What analysis are they looking for? Because they look, they're not looking for points and goals and wides because like that's something that's covered for them. And look, they obviously that's all being processed anyway. But what is their? What are they actually going to be analysing? Um, or what are they trying to get done? Or like what what's going to relay down to Jim Gavin or down to Desi Farrell at the moment? What what do we do? Or what's happening in the field? What kind of information are they looking at there? Like. At that level, right, and I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you an interesting one. What I think they could potentially be looking at, and this is, I don't know what they're looking at. There's, there's a a soccer um, metric called packing, okay, and what packing is, is when a player passes the ball, how many players are kind of taken out of the game by that pass. Right, so say centre half gets the ball and he has a true ball the whole way to the striker. So he's taken out maybe six opposition players with that particular pass. I would imagine so. Obviously, there had been that strategy around Cluxton just hitting short all the time. But now, like you see them scenarios where they're creating space in behind their, their midfield and they're bombing ball to their half forward line 
or they're hitting targeted areas where they're sucking their defense, they're sucking the opposition defense up, and then they're bombing it over them with them with them kind of passes. I would imagine that's a metric Dublin senior footballers look at. Okay. Ryan, any counter on that or any other things that you think they might be looking at? Um, I suppose. Well, I think it was a stat last year of the of Dublin's second half performance in the, in the All Ireland final. I think there, I don't know, was no wides or only maybe one or two wides in the whole match. Uh, there was no balls dropped short. And then if you're looking at their, you know, where the scores were taken from, there was there's never any silly sh- silly shots or anything. You know, it's just patience on the ball. So I'd say that's something that they've obviously been working on. They're, they're the best team in the country at it. You know, they don't waste any ball. They're waiting and waiting, uh, get the ball to the right people to create that space. Uh, maybe using what uh, Paul mentioned there about the pack and getting the ball, sucking boys in to leave a wee bit of a gap for somebody to get an easy score off, you know? Mm, yeah, like I know there was a Dean Rock stat there last year. Um, and I don't know, was it Freeze he took or Freeze he, Freeze he scored and missed from? And there was, there was none out in the sideline, basically. So obviously that they have this thing that if they're so far out in the sideline, um, they're not going to take a shot because I, I think he took a shot. I can't remember what game it was. He took a shot from the sideline. It's all Ireland final last year. Yeah, and the, the, remember the last kick of the game to yeah, win the match. That's right. That's right. Um, and obviously Galway don't follow the same same reasoning. Massey do that in the football. No, but who wants to win a championship this year? It means nothing. Unless it's Ireland. <laughs> And, and, you know, it was interesting to know, Paul, what you said as well, as soon as you said there, how many passes or how many players do we take out with that pass? And I'm just thinking back to Richie Hogan's goal there against, uh, against Galway when he had two touches and he took out two players at the first touch and took out two players at the second touch to get the goal, you know. And uh, it's probably, no, it, I know they're probably not talking about one individual doing something like that. Um, but it is interesting, like, I suppose, like, there are things that the average person mightn't even consider uh, what you're talking about, where you're talking, the stuff you're talking about. Yeah, and, you know, just to go back to that game, that um, that goal with the Kenny game from the week before last. So Joe Cannon in the first half was lauded for the fact that he pinged the ball into Cooney's hand through the eye of a needle and Cooney sticks it over the bar. And then in the second half, he tries something different with the sideline again, gives it to Porrick Walsh, who delivers it up the field for Richie Hogan's goal. So we often look at these, we often look and go, Jesus, they were both a bit of magic. But there's there's more, there's more to what creates the magic, you know, that kind of a way. Like the, like the ball being pinged through, it's Cooney's run from 20 yards before that that's really important for me that he's seen that opportunity to make that run. He could have just stand, stood still because he was moving into an area that there was a 10% chance, 5% chance he was going to get the ball. You know, so that's really what high-level teams are looking at, them, them small them small little things that the, the naked eye wouldn't see, you know? I actually seen a thing there the other day, so may as well mention it. I was looking at... Uh, Scotland got through into the Euros or sort of did on there and all over Twitter was Paul Gascoigne's you know, the famous goal where he kicks it over by his boy Henry's uh, wasn't it Henry who kicked it up but I was looking at it uh, at how it all happened uh, David Seaman kicked the ball out over to the left hand side and it goes away it goes over Gaz's head Gaz is around the middle of the pitch 
And uh, as soon as the ball goes over his head, Gazza just turns and takes off. You know, no, nobody else in the pitch would have made that run. And uh, nobody even followed him. You know, despite standing looking at him running. And the, the ball just breaks the person. Gazza's in space. He flicks it into Gazza's path. And that's known as one of, the, one of the great English goals ever, you know. So even we things like that there, boys just like, I suppose you can't, <laughs> you can't really teach that there either. But uh, I suppose it's we think watching out for that there, and if if you could coach selects out there, it'd be unbelievable. Like, you know, I don't know how you would ever uh, go about analysing it and that. But I just remember seeing mm-hmm. it and thought, it wasn't just the tap over the head or the finish. The, the brilliance was in the run and knowing that that was actually going to happen or could happen. There's a good chance of that happening, you know. Yeah, because I think they actually on the Sunday game. Um after Richie Hogan's goal, they actually looked about his movement. Well, I think they, they were talking about the use of his hurley, okay, but his movement inside in the full forward line is when Kilkenny got the ball, he was constantly active. And, like, I know you'd see it a lot of times. We can all think of players on wrong club teams and county teams that once we get a ball out the field, they're sprinting nearly straight out, like, give me the ball, give me the ball, you know. Um, but his movement was lateral inside, and he kept, he kept the defender on his toe, he kept the defender guessing. But like even, I suppose being aware, like I know Kilkenny, Kilkenny would be big. You know, they're big fans of kind of getting the ball in around the D and creating those goal chances. Um, in the past, and like he came out of this again, they got two balls into the D space of minute, two goals, and like it's obviously something that the players, I suppose, you can't coach what Richie Hogan did, but you can coach his positioning and what kind of movement he does inside there. And I suppose that would be something that you can analyze, like isn't it? Yeah, well, like you were after talking about it there. One of Kenny's KPIs, such as key performance indicators, could well be how many balls did we deliver into the into the D. Mm. You know? And in that in that period, they delivered two balls in and they got two goals in the space in ninety seconds, was it? I'd say it was two less, minutes. Less than a minute, I'd say only, yeah. Mm. Mm. I suppose when you when you have the likes of TJ Reid there and uh, Fanley, you know, boys who who win the ball have no right to be winning. As I said, you know, you have to play to your strengths. I mentioned it earlier. You know, the claim to the boys, the, the players' capabilities. So it maybe makes sense for Kilkenny to use that. You know, when you've got the likes of Richie coming in there for a wee breaking ball and can finish it off nicely. You know, sure. That's maybe what Kilkenny's whole plan is. And, and Ryan, ju- like just on that, right? So, like you talked about Fenley being in there, and Fenley is a huge asset to Kenny against ninety-five percent of the other fullbacks in the country. But be it be it Fenley or TJ in on Dahi Bork at the weekend, uh, it, like it, it it was, it suits the Galway defender there, but. You put the the slight or Richie Hogan in, in on him or Richie Hogan on him or Garrod McInerney and they're making dart and he's making dart and runs right or left. That's a completely different thing. So for performance analysts trying to identify them mismatches as well is really, really important. Yeah, no, definitely. Like as, as, you, as you say, there's no point in putting like it was sort of family was maybe cancelled out in that game, you know, there's not too many boys in Ireland would be able to do that. You know, but then I suppose giving them a different problem by somebody like Richie on them or you know somebody of that with that movement not there. Mm-hmm. It's a, like how many defenders can actually switch off or switch on to 
you know, a completely different player and get the better of that person as well, you know, not many. So what you're saying is that you need to have an understanding of the game to be able to process the information that is being, that you're getting out of the pitch. So let's say that, like, you can get any person can press a button and say, yeah, he got a position there, he got a position there, but being able to process that information and be able to read that, really relay that information to the manager is important. And it's an important person, like. It's like, you could see some player in a Gaelic football match might have, say, 25 possessions, and you say, oh, geez, he's on the ball or that. But what are they actually doing with the ball? Yeah. Um, like, in Gaelic football, if they're not, you know, if a player has a ball in a certain position of the pitch, yeah, leave them off there. They're not creating any damage. You can set up your defensive system. Um, ladies football is a, a prime example of that. Um, you'll see a player getting a ball, could be anywhere, and the players just get back to mark the D, man the D, um, because that's the scoring zone. You're not going to score from 45 metres out. If it does, it's a great shot. You take that. Um, but, yeah, as you say, your, your performance analysis is not where is the scores coming from? Where is the dangerous zone coming from? Which players are doing the damage? Mm-hmm. Is there a player that we can afford to leave off with the ball, let them carry it, and then we can double team another player? Or block off certain channels or filling gaps or whatever it is. Or is there a player that we know who can get dispe- uh, dis- dispossessed easily in the tackle? And we maybe, would they get the ball? We can apply pressure to them. Uh, maybe set up traps that will create that, sh- let them have the short puck out and then we attack them or whatever it is. So I think the performance analysis needs to know and understand the game. As Paul said, they need to understand the game plan and what you've been working on in training. Otherwise, it's just numbers yeah and like Master, you're, you're after talking about that like possession counts like Sky Sports do it and now I know he's he's played well at, at different stages prior to exiting the championship but like they kept talking about oh Mark Holman has 27 possessions he has 30 possessions against Dublin this that and the other now he does use the ball really well at times but like particularly on the football side of things a lot of them possessions aren't relevant there there's someone getting getting a touch of the ball and then passing the ball laterally and, and moving on or whatever the case may be like and like you talk about identifying them key players and like amy Mackin from armagh scored a cracking point against mayo from outside that scoring zone and ashley maloney from tip the same she scores them from outside them scoring zones and strategies to ensure that they don't get in like the likes of Amy or Ashton don't get into their shooting zones is really important as well you know so it's yeah right we might let Mossy have the ball in on the 21 there on the right hand side because he's not going to score but if Ryan has it 35 metres out on the left hand side that's actually a real danger so being aware of stuff like that is is really important anywhere inside the 45 with Mossy is, is a dangerous zone Paul so don't be don't be underestimating his ability. Um, another part I thought the, in the back to the film is small, but no. Um, first of all, the the scouts were a class bunch of guys, and I thought my uh, favorite. We go to the favorite lines and stuff later. But um, when he went in with the three players that he wanted, so he was after devising his plan that we need to get one one point one five two um, divided by three on base percentage out of three players who are they and they were able to devise the plan um but he said to his scouts this is not a discussion he basically shut them down and like when you do have numbers backing you up 
like as I said, we, we know hardly in football, like there's a lot of romantics in the game, and there's a lot of people who just won't buy into this stats thing and buy into the performance analysis or numbers game. But like when you have numbers to back it up, how much more should they be used to get a point across? Or is it still do a lot of coaches still trust the eye or trust their gut on things? You know what I'll actually say to you on, on that column, right? So you go a lot of old romantics aren't bothered about statistics or whatever. If you go to the Irish Independent or the Irish Examiner every Monday morning and they have the team list, right? And they have brackets after the name, zero one, blank, zero eight, zero eight from phrase, you know? So that stuff is being recorded. And the, the score is seen as the most important thing, which rightly it is, because it's the only thing that really matters in, 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 in the end game. But it doesn't say that Colin Crowley was after doing, making 15 tackles and six turnovers and didn't give the ball away once. You know, that kind of a way. Mm. So mm. It, it is being recorded. And, and the old school people are aware of some things, but they mightn't be always aware of the important things. Yeah. Um, and another thing I thought as well, not long after that was when, when he got rid of Giambi, when he did the Giambi trade. Um, and like Giambi was one of those players that he wanted in for the stats and it was kind of backing up his philosophy, but he was willing to change that. And like what he said was clearing house. And it's a, it was a bit of a culture thing as much as anything. And, like how important is it that you do have players that I suppose are buying into what you're trying to do. And if they're not, and they are proving I suppose a bit difficult are there let's say the bad apple in the in the dressing room like how important it is as a manager to be able to kind of deal with that yeah um, I think it's vital you know that the, there was a great there was a piece in the, in the movie and I thought actually maybe there was a fault of Billy Beans he, he probably should have done this earlier where he, he goes around to the players almost like an individual players and, and not big in the baseball out there but it seemed like he maybe Three or four, but the pictures and the, the fathers and not there like, yeah. And he went around and explained his whole thinking and the whole the reason why he was going through this process and what he believed in and trying to get their bay in. And uh, if there was a fault, I thought he maybe should have done it sooner. But um, I think you have you have to get the players on board. And I think as a, as a player, players want to be led. They do. They want to believe in it. They want to they want to follow it. And and once you get players on board, you know. N- 99 times out of 100 they'll, they'll back you and they'll, they'll give you it all you know so I thought it was a great piece in the, in the movie and yeah there was a great uh, one hour one was when he seen your boy David Justice mm-hmm. was it David Justice I, yeah. he, he said he was too old he was 37 or so and he was in the doing the bat, in practice and his batting and that there you know and I thought that it was probably a key part of that team was that he got the likes of him him to be in as well so, you know and he seen, he seen that the player w- was probably at the end of his career, but he also seen that he had something to offer, something mm-hmm. to offer the team. And he, just because you may be a wee bit old, I'm sure like the likes of myself there are getting a wee bit older now, you know, <laughs> you like to think that you, you have something to, to offer, you know, probably as a lot of most players are not able to do, or your way David Justice probably wasn't able to do what he used to be able to do, but, you know, give him a different, give him a different job and sort of uh, gives Gives him something to try and achieve and a goal, like you know, yeah. makes it a wee bit more refreshing for him. He, he really kind of empowered him to be a leader, 
And like as a manager, that's important, like to be able to identify those. Like, as you said, David Justice was probably past it, but every other player still looked up to him as a superstar um, from, from his past that he still had an aura about him and be able to empower him to be the leadership within the dressing room was hugely important, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was great. I uh, know uh, it was a great bit of management, I suppose, or I suppose he wasn't a manager, but it was great to see that that, that relationship between him and David. Yeah, and I'd agree with you, Ryan, 100%. A lot of them scenes he had where he had the pitchers or he had the batters, he he done it all kind of in their environment in the dressing room sitting down, be it they were playing poker or whatever, or Justice was in the, the batting cage. He was doing it in an environment they were safe enough in and they felt comfortable in. And he he was honest with them and he didn't bullshit them. And he said, look, this is what I'm trying to do. And I was able to articulate his message well. And that gets buoyant. So yeah, it, it, I thought it was great. The only thing I will say though is if I rocked into a dressing room and the lads are belting out, we got the funk by George Clinton. <laughs> There's absolutely zero chance I would stop them having that party. You join in. You definitely oh, join in. I can, I can actually remember, I think it was the summer of 2007, uh, me and me mate, uh, we dressed up to go and see uh, Parliament Funkadelic in, in one of the places on Harcourt Street. I don't know what it's called. Down, down the end of Harcourt Street. The audience. Yeah, the old, yeah, the old, it could have been the Odeon, yeah. But we went and I was just dressed up as John McEnroe and he was just dressed up as Jerry Ryan. Jesus, we'd some crack. Can I just, can I just ask there now? You, you went together, one dressed up as John McEnroe and one dressed up as Jerry Ryan. What was the, what was the chemistry there? The, the, the team and the chemistry was, we were just going to funk like... <laughs> I would I, I would explain to Ryan where Harcourt Street is, but I think Ryan's probably been there more than more than this. So. <laughs> yeah, man, they never get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, true, very true. But just 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 go back to something in the in the film there. Uh, not even the film, but talk about players and stats and key performance index and uh, performance analysis and like a player who was top class. And they may have lost their legs and they mightn't be getting on the ball as much in out the field or they mightn't be tracking back. But you know they still have something there on All Ireland final day or, or club final day or something match. Like that's experience. How do you measure that? Is there a way that like there's no measure for that? Like we just have to sometimes go with your gut as a coach or a manager. You can't just rely on stats all the time. There's one Stafford Massey is called Age. Age. <laughs> there's 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 a great line actually, Massey, in that not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. Which I, I think is a good line because like we're 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 we talking about fellas being on possession of the ball, right? And then we talk about fellas tackling, right? But if Ryan Gaffney's a really good defender and he does all his work off the ball, preventing Colin from getting any possessions, right? Ryan isn't getting his tackle count up because he's after doing his work prior to the opportunity to tackle arises. 
So that doesn't mean Ryan Gaffney is a bad cornerback or halfback or whatever. It means that he's doing a job that's maybe not measurable, but is invaluable for the team. So, yes, it is important, but being able to understand that Ryan Gaffney, Ryan Gaffney isn't high up on the tackle count because he just keeps winning the ball when it comes in or he's just he, he's positioning himself so he doesn't he doesn't need to tackle. It goes back to the Roberto Baggio com- uh, phrase that if I have to tackle, I've already made a mistake. Hmm. And that and like said that that does go to that a small bit that like said the good player. It's like do you know what? It's like a good goalkeeper in football will won't mightn't have to even have a shot taken him in the match because he's defence so well organised. And I'm sure we can all think of fellas like that. Um, or even centre back in in hurling or football. Just you know, I'm just thinking Kieran McGinney now, like even from an Armagh perspective, he was the leader on the field. He made sure everything around him functioned to the maximum of its ability. Really, like was it was it Matt Gallagher for Donegal in '92 got man the match in the All Ireland final from full back, and I think he had only three possessions in the game. Mm. Just did his job. Clocked the head off some fella. <laughs> Probably deserved it. Yeah. Is there a note? The only other thing I thought in the film as well was the fact that, like, when they did go on the slump, right? And, um, you know, they got rid of Giambi and, and stuff like that and Pena. To, like, he said, he said to, um, to his right hand man, I uh, can't think of his name there, but he said, Do you believe in this? Um, and it was something like, you know, we're, we're in and we're staying in. Like how how hard is is it in times as a GA coach or a player even that when let's say you're trying to do something slightly different and it's not working initially, like how like how often does it happen where there's a bit of discontent and you end up going back to the norm? Like is it a regular thing? Well, well I'm just going to throw in something here now before we go at it, and we probably won't see it for another couple of weeks. Uh, it's the Irish soccer team at the moment. Yeah, and they're trying like Stephen Stephen Kenny's come in and he's trying to change the the philosophy of the team, and they're not getting the results at the moment. The uh, performances are probably getting better, but they're not getting results in the day. How long is he going to go with the system before he has to where before he thinks about changing it? Where there's so much pressure coming from the media and from the noise on the outside because they're not getting results. That is he going to go back to? the old way of Irish football for the last 10-15 years so it's just going to be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks what happens there yeah do you know Mossy that's a great question it depends on how much Stephen Kenny believes in his philosophy right and if we bring it back to Mike Bassett they'll go and they'll be bet he might change it and he'll change back now we're playing 4-4 fucking 2 and like it, it's a real challenge for Stephen Kenny because he has his way of doing things that's worked at a certain level. And and now he's trying to do the same thing at a different level. And has he got the players and are, is the game different at that level? So you often see people come up from minor or minor or under 20 or under 21 up to senior setups or from club to county. And the things they've done at the, low, at the lower level don't work anymore, you know, and... It it happens. It's it is a big challenge, You're right, Mossy? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose it all depends. That, you know, <laughs> first of all, is the planning good? And is does the players is is the players 
100% committed to it, you know, is the, is the staff committed to it? Because you've, you've seen like soccer teams and even GA teams not there. If they're not getting the results, then even, even the likes of their own staff can turn against them or, or the players not there, if they're not back them, the next year they'll not play for them or something like that there. So it's a, it's a tricky one. You know, only time will tell, I suppose. But I think from, you see, from the movie, just going back to the movie, I thought Billy Bean definitely had... Uh, he definitely believed in that idea, and it was great to see, so it's like somebody with that courage to go, go and to, to just rip up the, the rule book and go a hundred percent in and back, back themselves and back, back to stats and, and believe in something and, and actually see it through. You know, and I thought it was, good, it was great to see. Yeah, like, and he said, he said, "We'll have changed." Like it was, it was near the end when he said, "Like if this works, we'll have changed the game," and. Again, it just goes back to our own football in Ireland and like what stuff we see in our own clubs and counties nationally like that. When there is something like that, so let's say when the sweeper system came in in Hurling, um, when a double sweeper came in in football or whatever fancy terms they use for it, like it changes the game a small bit, like doesn't it? Like it, it, it like as I said, we can all we've all watched the RT or the GA Gold nineteen eighties football final or something like that. And it's just a completely different game. And it's obviously evolved because of tactical awareness and and stuff like that for managers, like hasn't it? Stuff that they're seeing. Yeah, well, a lot of managers, I suppose, would have their own idea of, of what way they want to play, and you know, a lot of a lot of times it doesn't really work out for them. As you know, and then I suppose can, are they able to are they given the chance to adapt? You know, a lot of probably not. So, uh, a great example would be Alexa Derek McGrath, or you know, you know. Probably ahead of his time when it comes to stats and that there, or, or uh, tactics and that as well. But you know, you'd be you'd like to think that if he got his chance again with a team, you know, he could he could definitely show he could maybe win the All Ireland with them, you know. Mm. But like, and even that now, even with Derek McGrath here, like there was a lot of people hoping the Watford wouldn't win it, just because it was such a change from the norm, like that they perceive it to be. Or a bastardization of hurling, really, kind of, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like I suppose uh, we, we talked about there, the few of the older generation, and uh, I suppose everybody does have a romantic idea of, of the sport, that, you know, of hurling and that there, and we all obviously love it. But I think performance analysis is only really a part of the game. You know, it's just a part of the game. It's, it's along with coaching and that there, and it's, you're never gonna, you know, some things that you just can't coach. And that there, you know, some things you can't you can't analyze, but I, I suppose it should be just used as a, a tool for coaches to know exactly what they need to work on, you know, in, in terms of maybe looking at the opposition of how they can how they can actually go about beating the opposition, and then giving the players the the belief that this that this can actually happen, you know, because I think that's what that's what Derek definitely done. He installed belief in the in the Waterford boys. You think of Davy Fitz as well, you know. Waxford boys, I know they probably didn't do themselves justice this year, but you know they're beating Kilkenny regularly now. So they are, you know, winning the Nassau titles. Whereas a few years ago, you wouldn't have got that. You know, so they obviously all believe in this, and believe in the the system that's there. You know, sometimes you just have to get the players in to fit what you need, and just because you have the county name or the superstar doesn't mean they're going to bring something to that team. Like you often see. In colleges in Fitzgibbon and Sigerson, for example, you'll see some top class county players or some 
not, not as top class, but some, some good county players who are on the substitute bench. And you'll have just the ordinary Joe Soap club player playing instead of them, who is doing that job and role better for their college team because it suits them. It's mm-hmm. a, and it's, they suit what's needed for that team to get over the line. So I think like the, the glove has to fit for certain situations. Yeah, no, and now example, just uh, from a soccer point of view, as you could probably say the likes of Man United at the minute, uh, Paul Pogba sitting on the bench, all, all the ability in the world, but he's not—he's just not able to do the job that's that's needed on the pitch. You know, and there's boys there getting the nod ahead of him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Arsenal, sure. Yeah, another one. That's exactly yeah. Uh, some good examples there. Yeah, I, I thought John Hill's character in what was actually really good. The the Peter Brand character, um. Like it's like the element there, like where he was in that Cleveland Indians room, and is there whispering into the boy's ear about no, I don't do that, blah blah blah, and then Billy Bean comes out like and starts questioning him about like what what the fuck is going on here, like who are you? And I thought it was it was really interesting, and ah, it was you know it was just great, like it was just great that it was this fella who's just does not fit. The, the image or the, or the profile of what you expect to be involved in any sort of elite level sport and he's the, the key protagonist and then when he like when he had to drop your man uh, Pena as well mm. Mm. yeah uh, there was a, there was a, there was a line in the film there that was uh, it, it showed you the depth that the scouts went into looking at players when they go he's about, he's, a, he's an ugly girlfriend yeah so he lacks confidence, no confidence. six at best yeah. so like like I thought like you know it's not like a PC line or anything but it just shows the depth that they're looking at they're looking at everything and I thought it was, it was a funny a funny line at the time yeah definitely I've seen myself I thought I laughed the way I thought yeah. yeah. I said it's the kind of guy who walks into a room and his dick has already been there for two minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I, and you know what it, like that kind of goes back to like baseball was so uh, I won't say anti-stats and anti-analysis and anti a new way of thinking but like you know that was the way that a large amount of the vocal the I suppose the vocal minority in the, within the sport would have been you know um, and even the, like the last line uh, or one of the last lines that was said in the film after they lost to uh, the twins I think um it was it was there it's a flawed concept you know baseball is one on the field but fundamental play and like that, and that's that is i suppose why while it might be disregarding the stats side of it it's probably very very true like that if you if you can't puck a ball if you can't catch a ball you know if you can't win your possession the fundamental plays of the game nothing else matters so it is important to have all that first because if we've got the best performance analysis group in the world on the sideline and we've got 15 dummies on the pitch who can't hold hurley correctly or kick a football like you don't really have a chance either like do you um last question on it um when would you say like for an average club team now let's say a club intermediate team um with ambitions of of doing well in their county championship probably not one of the favorites what kind of stuff should they be looking at let's say from a hurling perspective like what? Like if you say, if I say, give me the in in money ball, it's get it on base. Uh, on base percentage is the that's the stat, the key stat they're looking for with players from an offensive perspective. But in the GA, let's say for an average run in a mill club team, what would be that one stat that you say 
have a look at that that might help you somehow you know I, I would actually say it isn't a stat I would say it is to be able to review video and reflect on a game afterwards so like a lot of a lot of what we've talked about here is numbers and stats because I suppose that links into what money ball is and that saber saber metrics element of it but teams who have a huddle account and are able to share and comment be it coaches and players on individual clips in a game I think is invaluable and to have that ability to reflect because Colin Crowley does something in a match I'm his manager I say Crowley what were you at there? Ah oh, here yeah, You had two options you hit the ball over your shoulder thinking you were Tony Kelly scoring from the end right but you go no 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 sure, that was the best option if I have a video freeze frame it at that particular point that you go shoe and there's two fellas on your outside who are on the edge of the D waiting to take ball off you simple 10 yard strike pass and they're they've scored like you know so being able to do that I'd say is more important than specifically measuring anything that that'd be my opinion right yeah no I would definitely I would agree with Paul there you know I suppose that that's I, to me that's a very powerful tool being able to you know get that footage and I suppose even when we're thinking of the, the movie different different roles for different players. You know, what was the, the player that he got to play first base? You'd never played it before, you know. Star Lord. <laughs> from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Hattenburg. Hattenburg. But he uh, you know if we're thinking of a cornerback, cornerback's gonna have different jobs than the than the you know the midfielder or, or the wing forwards out there. So you're gonna be with the videos and reviewing the videos you can do more individual work with them you can improve them individually and then, which will also obviously help the team so no I would definitely agree with, with Paul on that um, There's one thing you know I was actually chatting to someone there uh, a few weeks ago um, an under 8 coach and they're just trying to put in a player pathway within their club right and in fairness very progressive but they, they start to keep in track of the the skill level of their players now when I say that keeping track it's the eye test it's stuff that they see if I said where would you rate him 1 to 3 1 being being competent or three being competent one being no not there at all and two would be getting there where would you rate them for striking the ball on the ground uh blocking a ball um doing a frontal block things like that right but in fairness to know i know you people think it's overboard but they actually had a player who was one of the bigger stronger players a bit slower wasn't the best at striking or anything like that not your best player but they used to put him in full back but upon doing the analysis then a couple of weeks later um, they realised that he was very, very poor at blocking. And he was actually, when they thought about it, he was actually afraid to block. And yet they were putting him into one position where at under eight, you're going to be doing more blocking than anywhere else. And, you know, quickly they realised that, right, we better move him out of here because if we're going to leave him here, he's not going to enjoy it. And he'll give up the game either immediately or two, three years time if we pigeon him, pigeonhole him in this position. So, like, that's an under eight team talking about grown hurling, but they're talking about retaining that player for as long as possible and using a basic, basic stat. Well, I'm saying stats, but whether you they're taking account of what's actually happening on the pitch with the players. And I thought that was in fairness. I thought that was very progressive for a, for a group. Um, and that really doesn't take too much knowledge. Like you don't have to know everything about hurling to know if a fella can block a ball 
or stop a ball or hit a ball out of his hands. But uh, it was just something I just meant to say there when he came up twice. Um, anything else dead in the movie? Oh, no. I think just getting the balance of the dressing room right was key mm. there in the film as well. It's yeah. very, very important getting rid, and getting rid of Jambi. Just, just one thing I really like in the film, it's it's not explicitly said or mentioned, but the, the role that physical activity has to play in Billy Bean's mental health because of the, the pressure of the role, I think is a, is a really important one for coaches as well. So like he, he's, he's going to the gym and he's going on his runs when matches are on. Now, obviously I'm not saying do that when there's a match on, but I'm saying build it into build it into what you're doing because it can be stressful enough coaching looking after teams when they're not going well. Yes, I know all about it. Um, our favourite scenes or our favourite lines from the movie? Ryan, anything standing out? Uh, I suppose my favourite scene would have to be the... The, sc- the scouts talking the very first meeting with the scouts, you know, yeah. definitely some some clinkers are one liners. So, <laughs> yeah, Massey, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the same. I enjoyed that as well. Your favorite scene, I know, is you de- definitely cried when he stayed loyal to the A's, didn't you? No, I didn't actually. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Maybe I did the first time. <laughs> you're hard and you're, you're, you're hard enough, Colin. Hard enough, Paul. Uh, just we, we've we've mentioned it previously on, on the podcast where he talks about dropping fellas and it's one to the head one to the head or five to the chest. He mentions that as well. So yeah, I think I think one of my like the, the scout spark is obviously the, the the funniest I thought. But uh when 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 the what was the song called Paul? They were playing inside the dressing room after getting hammered. We got the funk we by George funk. Clinton. Yeah and might put it up on Twitter for a few people. <laughs> and Giambi Giambi's up on the table and then Giambi gets down off the table and he's kind of standing there with his pants buttoned down <laughs> and he's kind of doing this hip trusting thing as he's standing there and it's just every time I see it I go like what is he doing but it's just uh, I suppose look it's just uh, something that stands out every time maybe it's when you see it you pick up something new every time um, and like he turned down 12 and a half million from the Red Sox that time and like that's a third of what his whole baseball team in, in Oklahoma, Auckland was getting paid he was offered that money from the Red Sox and he turned it down like and like he mentioned it a few times in the movie but he said it's hard not to be romantic about baseball and beneath it all he was probably a real romantic about it like even like we'd say the stats and all that analysis is not the romantic part but he's obviously a huge romantic about the game like we we all are about our own games, no, I'd imagine. You're gonna cry now, Colin, aren't you? No, I'm not <laughs> um so what are we giving Billy Bean out of five? So Ryan, as a guest, you get first lash at it. Uh, out of five. I don't know. I suppose I would give him I'd have to go five. You know, five for for the loyalty that he showed, you know. And then for the courage, the, the guts he had to, to take on, like his back was up against the wall with the team. He wanted to do, won them through them. He seen his chance, and he believed in the process, you know. And he, he wasn't going to let anyone get in the way of it. He was prepared to fire ways. Uh, you know, the coach was pulling, or the yeah, the coach was pulling in him. He just got rid of that problem by <laughs> selling the boys, you know, which was brilliant. Uh, so no, I, I think a five to him. Very good, Massey. I'm only going to give him four. The reason being is I can't have him any higher than Ken Carter 
was also a coach from o- Oakland. So that's right. my reason. Fair, fair enough, Paul. Yeah, do you know what? I, I thought he was really good. The only reason I'm not giving him a five is, and he said it himself in the line in the film, if you don't win the last game of the season, no one gives a shit. So he's four and a half for me. Yeah, and I'm going to four four and a half as well. Um, I think a huge amount of positive stuff, but uh, like I, I, one thing that I felt he lacked in was, uh, and he corrected it as he went on the show, but the like he, he kind of went on a bit of a solo run in that he completely excluded the scouts from everything he was doing. And, you know, these are people that that are probably loyal to the organization a lot of the time and a lot, a lot of time are loyal to him. And I feel, I felt he excluded them and the manager. And I just felt didn't handle it all that great because as I said, if he wasn't the general manager, he could have been fired if it was somebody else doing that, you know, um, or the fact that the owner was kind of so passive in what was going on, he kind of left him at it. So uh, 4.5 for me as well. And a poor relationship with the head coach. Uh, who was excellently acted, I thought, by uh, Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it you know, was really good. As well, boss, uh, Crowley, just on that. So obviously the film was about the whole sabermetrics element to it. There was a lot of other, and there was a lot of other players involved in that setup who weren't, we'll say, the, the fellas drafted in because of their of their figures who were decent enough well regarded operators and like th- there's more to the there is more to the story than just what was portrayed in the in the two hour film you know they obviously just h- harnessed in on h- focused in on that because of the story but there is like he did take the scout stuff on on board for for certain things you know yeah, I thought the other the other thing that I really liked about about him as well was when when they were I think they won seven or eight in a row and the commentator says oh Art Howe is doing an unbelievable job thing and Brand is going hey like he's getting the credit and Billy Bean is like I don't care like you know it's part of the the process of what they're getting so um so that's it so thanks very much lads uh, Ryan thanks very much anything to plug. Or where can people find you if they want to follow some of your stuff? Oh. You know, you're sharing a lot of stats and stuff lately. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just literally trying to keep myself busy and figuring about a bit of stats and software and that that I'm using. But no, nothing, nothing to plug. Uh, listen, th- thanks very much for the invitation, boys. You know, it's always great to get chat and to few our coaches and watch a few ideas about. Thanks very much, Ryan. Bye. And. I, I suppose you you won another county this year with Middletown, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, we, we won it. Uh, we were, yeah, it was actually one of the best championships that we ever had because it, the way it worked, we had the we had who's a kitty in the first round and, uh, and then Darren East in the second round and then or in the semi final and then our Goldings in the final. So, you know, normally we got, got three games out of this year, so it wasn't too yeah. bad. You took you down the, the heavy hitters and all, if you could have just timed it a bit better to play the match the day before the wedding, it would be all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was an, an action packed weekend. With the we uh, got married on the was it married on the Friday and with the final on the Sundays, you know. So there was a few few boys had the, you know done the right thing and, and didn't drink, but then there was obviously there was a few of me and the bros and all actually we had a good enough for the weekend, you know. So oh, over the line, all right, it, it worked out well, so it did, you know, couldn't have been yeah. happier. You'd, uh, very good. Very you'd, good. You'd, you'd work done in the bank at that stage. So, <laughs> okay. no, great stuff. Yeah. Thanks very much, Ryan. Thanks, Thanks for, for a lot.
All right. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for joining us today. Please leave a review on your favorite platform. And if you enjoyed, tell a friend. You may also want to join us on Twitter and Instagram at Roy Orbison Tattoo. And we appreciate any likes, retweets, comments, or feedback. Next week, we will be watching The Blind Side. And we'll show available first thing Tuesday morning, as always.